Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. It's good to have you back. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Thanks for being here. Let's get right down to it. All right, Dave. So Congress is basically proving why their approval ratings are rock bottom. And to me, it's so obvious that it's sad. You know, we, we cheer about bipartisanship, but I think it should only be for good things. So there's a bill right now and it's got some bipartisan support and it's basically corporate welfare for microchip companies. And the ebb and flow of demand right now is actually cooling off. Right now, we don't need these subsidies. Uh, and meanwhile, you've got Nancy Pelosi's husband just invested a large sum of money in a in a massive microchip company right before this bill is happening, up to $5 million. Uh, and I think that stinks to high heaven. So uh, why is this happening? And can we stop this corporate welfare? Well, unfortunately, what you brought up, Carrie, and I think that we'll, as we often do, we'll agree on this one, is basically 90% of the tax code. You know, one of the things that we said in our original four practically political no-brainer bipartisan ideas is tax reform because 90% of the tax code is a subsidies or subsidy or credit that was put there because some congressman paid somebody off, right? Let, let's be honest. So, and by the way, what you're bringing up is a classic example of that. And I'll say the worst one of all are subsidies to oil companies, okay? Oil companies get $15 billion a year in subsidies. We only spend 14 billion on lunches for needy children. I mean, that gives you an idea. It's, it's just, it's criminal. I totally agree. So what we said is we should have a, a, remember in the 1980s, they had the terrible job of closing all those military bases, right? That was total pork. They did it by putting together a commission and then every member of Congress was allowed an up or down vote. No riders, no amendments. Either you were for the list or you were against the list. That's what we should do with tax reform. Two things, A, make it revenue neutral, so no one's, no one's raising or lowering taxes, and then have, an ind have a bipartisan commission come up with what loopholes to close, and all that money goes back into the pot, and then you lower the rates, because Republicans want lower, want lower rates, Democrats want to close loopholes. We say yes, but unfortunately, until that happens, I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff. And also the problem is that when subsidies are enacted, sometimes they are needed. But as you know, once spending's on the books, it's very hard to get off, right? So what they should do is they should have subsidies for a period of time. But of course, that would not be nearly as lucrative. So that doesn't happen. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, and you're right. It's like Ronald Reagan said, the closest thing to eternal life is a government program, and in this case, I would say a government subsidy. And yeah, I think what bothers me is that it's cherry picking. It's saying we're the favored, you know, well-heeled, uh, well-connected industry over here, i.e. the one that Nancy Pelosi's husband is investing in. Um, but it's not just him. It's, it's lots of other favorite industries that have good lobbyists. Um, and so it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't be a barrier uh, to have competition and, and let the smaller businesses compete but these big guys get the better lobbyists. And so, and I think that that's, uh, that's I, I love starting out on things we can agree on, Dave. Well, and also let's face it. I mean, how many lobbyists are in Washington pitching for lunches for the needy 
or for extra childhood nutrition programs now that abortions are going to be infant nutrition programs now that abortions are going to be harder. Nobody, right? They're only there for well-heeled individuals and corporations, and that's why our tax code is uh, is so is how many thousands or tens of tens of thousands of pages, and again, ninety percent of it are subsidies and credits that were, were put there just uh, as a legalized bribe. So my question to you is, uh, numerous reports are indicating that Donald Trump may announce his 24 campaign as early as September, which is highly unusual because usually candidates wait till January, you know, till after the new Congress is sworn, off, sworn in after the midterm elections. So this will be groundbreaking. So I guess my question is, uh, you know, do you think this is a judicious move? And what do you think the effects are going to be as far as the midterm elections go? Well, I hope that he doesn't do it. Uh, but as we all know, Trump will be Trump. So <laughs> once he has his mind made up, uh, I, I just hope he won't have his mind made up on this front because I actually think it would look weak if he were to do it. Because if you think about, okay, he wants to do it maybe in his mind Oh, he doesn't like what's happening with the news cycle, with the January 6th stuff, but people, he feels like that he's not at the top of mind in the way he wants to be. So he wants to wrest control. But I actually think if he were to do that, that would be a defensive move. And it would basically be conceding that he thinks that, that the, you know, the, uh, the Jan 6 commission and Benny Thompson and, and, and the like are being effective. Whereas if you're in a position of strength, you wait. And that, that was his initial read was that he wanted to wait till after the midterm. So he's evolving on this way. And I, I just don't think it would be good because I think it would really make everything right now. The election should be about the failures of Joe Biden, like full stop. It's just easy for anyone to know it's about inflation. It's about the economy, stupid, as James Carville would say. Um, and so we don't want to insert these things that would just really muddy the waters and just let people vote with uh, just clarity about the fact that Democrats are doing a terrible job. They can't blame anyone else because they own both houses of Congress and the White House. Uh, so yeah, I think I think we're probably in agreement on this. Dave, are we? Well, I would say I, I, let's put aside whether the Democrats are doing a terrible job. I think they're doing uh, better in some areas than they are in others, but that's not really material. I, I guess my question is, well, yes, I agree. He was originally going to wait. So the question is, why is he moving it up? Now, of course, those of us who are, might be a tad cynical will say because the January 6th hearings are, are really turned out to be much more damaging than many people thought. Uh, also, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars in personally guaranteed notes that are coming due starting next year. And he's got to find a way to pay that off. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Anyone who's considering giving money to the RNC, I would ask you to consider uh, maybe giving it somewhere else because they're paying his legal bills, which I think is outrageous. That's not why you give money to a political committee, uh, a national political committee. You give it to support candidates, not to pay some profligate, irresponsible guy's legal bills. So uh, I think that's why he's doing it. And he's moving it up. And I, I agree. I think it's A, it is a sign of weakness, but also it really, it muddies the waters. I think he's trying to be proactive. And he's also saying, well, it's going to be a lot harder for them. They, they can't charge a sitting president, so maybe it'll be a lot harder for them to charge someone who's trying to be president. What do you think? 
Well, I, I think in his mind, maybe he, he thinks that he wants to take credit. Like if, if Republicans win the House and Senate, he would want to say that he's taking credit for it by declaring early. Maybe in his mind, that's part of the strategy, uh, like leaving January 6th aside, uh, it, because I think he, you know, with the endorsements, you know, he's, he's making these endorsements and he's had a really good track record. Yes, sometimes he'll just endorse someone, even though that person already has the momentum. But he also has been definitive in some very key races in, in getting them across the finish line, like J.D. Vance, for example, and Mastriano, your favorite, and Herschel Walker. I mean, some of these candidates. Uh, and so it'll be interesting if they if the, if his endorsed candidates are not able to get over the general finish line, then he won't be able to crow as much. However, I think generally, given the mood, he's doing this because he wants to be able to take credit for the midterms. I think that's part of it. And also, by the way, let's be honest, his record of endorsing so far is very mixed. If anyone wants to go and see a state where it, it makes no difference, go to the center of the political universe, Georgia. All right, Jody Heiss uh, mounted what was supposed to be a very winnable campaign against Brad Raffensperger, as you may remember, the Secretary of State who stood up to Trump when he asked him to just find 11,780 votes. And granted, David Perdue is a jokester, but still, Brian Kemp just destroyed him. So Donald Trump's endorsement has been a very mixed bag. And also, as he's prone to do, he tends to weigh into people when they're already heavy favorites. So if you look at people that he's actually picked early on, he's batting uh, under 50%. So uh, I'm, not so con I'm not so convinced that uh, that's, that's going to make a, a, a big difference. And um, so I think that... Uh, I think I think we'll have to see, but I do think we agree. I think it's a it's a bad decision to jump early. It shows weakness. But as usual with Donald Trump, it's done entirely and only about Donald Trump. Uh, if it hurts the party, if it hurts anything else, be damned. So, what's your next one for me? Well, so I want to just kind of workshopping a solution. Is there a solution to this topic I'm going to bring up? And that is this idea of cancel culture, because. Uh, we just had news that Dave Chappelle, the comedian, just got canceled by a venue in Minnesota. And they are basically playing the political correctness card. They think that he's too inflammatory, that he doesn't toe the line enough. And I think that's really unfortunate to not only the people in the audience who uh, were looking forward to seeing him, but also just the signal that it, it gives to uh, you know chilling free speech more generally. So Dave, what do you think the solution is, well, I mean, what do you think about that with what happened with, with Dave Chappelle? Uh, and then how do we fix this? Because I don't think responding with more boycotts is the answer. No. And well, uh, again, I'm the first one. And I've said, I think, and I think it was Bill Maher who said this, who's hardly conservative, there ought to be a stand your ground law against cancel culture. And the key is never apologize a little bit because it's the classic, you give an inch and they'll take a mile. And as I've said, what's been so disappointing, and you know me, no one's been more critical of how extreme the right has gotten. But I never thought that a lot of efforts to block, more efforts to block free speech would come from the left than from the right. And that has always been shocking. And, you know, it's not just YouTube blocking Ron DeSantis having experts from top medical schools disputing the, the effectiveness of child masks when we all know a child who's four years old wearing a mask does nothing. That's just common sense, right? 
So all this stuff, it went on and on. But uh, to me, when, the, when you were saying toe the line, that's exactly what a comedian is not supposed to do, is, is toe the line. That's why you go to a comedian, because they're supposed to be irreverent. It's like, it's like firing someone for a tweet that they made in college. If you can't be irreverent in college, when can you be irreverent? That's the whole point of college. That's why you're supposed to get it out of your system. That's why they give tenure to professors. So they can say what you want. When I went to business school, what my favorite professor wrote a front page article for Business Week saying that, a, that business school was a waste of time when you look at the opportunity cost and financial cost. God bless them, joys of tenure, right? That's what, that's what you're supposed to have in academia and that's what you're supposed to have on stage. So I think it is really, really damaging and it sets a bad precedent. And so fortunately, there are a lot of venues. You know, that's why someone like Bill Maher has some of his favorite shows are in places like the South. And he'll be the first one to tell you, particularly as he was coming out of, out of COVID. It was a hell of a lot easier to perform in red states than it was in, in blue states. So my long-winded answer to your question is Dave Chappelle should tell that place in Minnesota, you know what, there are plenty of other venues that'll have me. If I can go to San Francisco and perform, then I can go most places and perform because he did a show at the Chase, Chase Center it was very well received. I actually went to it. So I think that uh, I hope he'll consider coming back. But, I, but it, it, is, it is really a problem and it's, uh, it's very unhealthy for our society. But I'll give you final thoughts. Well, I, the one thing I would add is that unfortunately even tenure and academic freedom on campus is under fire too. Uh, we're seeing more and more professors. I just did some reporting about this in a podcast for the Daily Wire. Um, so... It, and there's a great organization called FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights. Uh, it, it used to be in education. They just changed it to be more broad beyond just education, but it's called FIRE. Um, and they defend professors who are, uh, and again, a lot of them are from the left and they're being canceled by the far, far left on their own campuses. So uh, we're, we're getting some good uh, agreement here today, Dave. I like it. Well, I think, you know, our, our, even though our political views are very different, our values are similar. So this one we may not have agreement on, but you remember back in 2010 and 2012, do you remember Christine, I am not a witch O'Donnell, and Todd, legitimate rape, Aiken, and Sharon, let's rise up with the Second Amendment angle, and Richard, rape is God's will, Murdoch. Well, I'm having flashbacks with uh, Herschel Walker, with Metmit Oz, who uh, not only doesn't live in Pennsylvania, but I don't think he's ever even been there, and J.D. Vance and, uh, you know, Arizona. I mean, the list goes on and on. So the, the, the question is, uh, are you finally willing to say, you know what, at some point we have to say, yes, I support my party. Yes, I want to elect candidates from my party. But if someone is so grossly unqualified, at some point I have to say, you know what, if someone's in there and they're doing a decent job, even if they're not my party, at, their, at the very least, I'm not gonna campaign against them. Are you willing to finally go, that with, with some of these con go there with some of these candidates this year that are really clowns on well, the GOP side? I think the word, you mentioned the word qualified, uh, and there's only, there are very limited qualifications in our founding document, which is the constitution about whether someone's qualified. I know, I know. So yeah, you have to I be 30. That that's, yeah, and it's, so it's pretty minimal. Like the constitution didn't put any sort of 
pedigree or educational or income or anything. You know, it's it's uh, they wanted they wanted to have uh, this is this is what makes us different from England and a very stratified society. So yes, that's an excuse. Uh, you know, it's not an answer. No, I, well, I, I think that for me as a Republican voter, uh, I, at the end of the day, if someone says things and they're less articulate or they say things that I disagree with, I can stand with someone when they're right and part with them when they're wrong. That's what that's what Abraham Lincoln said. So I think it's a it's an act of maturity to say it's OK if you're with this person 85 percent of the time versus I'd only be with this other person 20 percent of the time. And to, to acknowledge that that is a substantive policy difference and that it's OK to have those policy differences. And it doesn't make someone who who respects policy uh, out to be someone who doesn't uh, care about democracy or doesn't care about serious things. Because at the end of the day, I think personality is far less, uh, you know, noteworthy when it comes to actual outcomes for people's lives. Policy matters. Well, I, I, I'm still trying to decipher that. I'm not quite sure what you're saying, but what I, what, I, what I seem to get out of there is that, yes, policy, well, first of all, that means that someone has to do a minimum amount of homework, which Herschel Walker has done none. And there's, there's two issues. First of all, there's policy, there's seriousness, really three issues, and then there's uh, you know, character, integrity, and this is someone who pontificated about fatherhood that had three secret kids that he didn't even tell his staff about. Someone who's so grossly unprepared, he said John Lewis was the greatest black senator in the history of the country. Someone who was pushing aerosol cures for COVID. Someone who's lied about everything from his business record to graduating from college to, uh, who's, you know, who's, he's got 12 personalities. He's been a suit, uh, just a, 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 he's been, uh, uh, labeled as with multiple and accused of multiple attacks. You know, at some point you got to say, okay, this guy is totally unqualified in every way. He has nothing going for him except he has an R next to his name. And someone who's in there now, you know, you may not agree with them, but they're smart. They've uh, actually had a fairly, if you want to compare them to Democrats, a fairly moderate record. The only times they've, they've stood up and talked, it's really been about integrity about things like that. So uh, at some point, Carrie, you got to say, okay, I, you know, I have to take one for the country. And this guy is just uh, offers, you know, no qualifications in any way. What other qualification does Herschel Walker have except the fact that he's a Republican? Give me one. Uh, he knows, he knows the direction of the country as being pulled in a horrifically socialist direction. And I think that is a, a very important it's the most basic things like, okay, men should not compete in women's sports. XX does not See equal that? XY. Like the most fundamental definitions of words are under attack in this country. And the fact that Herschel Walker understands that, that, that makes it an easy choice. You know, and, and, and Actually, Raphael Herschel Warnock, Walker, Raphael, hey, hey, Raphael Warnock, by the way, has his own challenges. He's, he's come yeah, under here. fire for his for using campaign funds illegally for for a lawsuit uh, that happened before he was in the Senate. That's not allowed. Uh, and then he's got well, his own go with the, challenges with... Uh, with a false equivalencies. No, no, I'm just saying... But, I mean, that's the, so minor compared to whatever. whatever no, he's, you also know, been the, the, he's also been accused of, of assault as well. But the difference, I would say the difference with Herschel Walker is that Herschel Walker has actually owned up to that. And, and we've talked about, I, you know, he I say not. this big, long... 
He has, he has not He's owned not. up to it. He, no, no, he no. continues to lie. He continues to lie about everything. If you listen to what he talk, he talks about Cain and Abel. I mean, he literally, he literally does not have an informed opinion on any subject. So if you if you say he's he opposes things, it's only because those things are democratic things. It's not because he's actually come out with any policies or any ideas. So at at, at some point, you have to say, okay, enough is enough. We cannot send these candidates just because he won a national title for Georgia. That's that's his qualification in, in many people's eyes. And the fact that he's not a Democrat, that's not enough. OK, and there was there were some people back in 2010 who said, you know what? I can't support Todd Akin. OK, I can't I can't support Christine O'Donnell. Uh, and I think that I you need to see more of that now. And I, yeah, J.D. Vance, you know, he's a smart guy. He's gone off the deep end, but I could at least, you could make more of an argument there. But Oz, a little bit, but Herschel Walker in particular, it's, it's indefensible. And I think a lot of Republicans would have more credibility if they would just say, you know what? Sometimes country has to come before party. And that's just not happening for anyone who supports, supports Herschel Walker. I think country has to come before character attacks and 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 sins and and things. Country character has to come. Attacks. Yeah, like I said, his mental illness. Mental illness is a as a significant. Uh, you know, like it causes people to do things that they regret. And he has said that he's been open about his mental illness. And he's but but the thing is now he's been treated for it. But when you are mentally ill, you do things that you regret. And the U.S. Army has worked with him to spread awareness of mental illness among people in the military because mental that's, illness is that's a That's great. Well, then he should work for Yeah, but the point is he hasn't owned up to any of the other lies that he's told. I mean, he didn't even tell his staff that he had these kids. The point is he's a, he's a pathological liar. That's okay. He's lied about everything. So you say that he's owned up to his mental illness. Well, the fact is, if you're mentally ill, you're still melted mentally ill. And I think you should get no, treatment. No, but he's been treated. And I, and I think that you deserve to get the best possible help that you can get. But that's not an excuse to run for office at a national body if you're not mentally up to it. And he's not mentally up to it. He's we're admitted gonna that. To, we're going to have to agree to disagree, my friend. All right. Well, I guess we will, we will leave it there. But uh, this was, uh, it's nice when overall we agree on more things than we, than we disagree, which was certainly the case uh, this session. But uh, folks, well, it's been so great having you once again. This is Dave Spencer signing out another episode of Practically Political. We'll see you next time.